Dialogic Disciple Podcast is a production of Northside Church, exploring discipleship and dialogue with the world as disciples of the word. Disciple Podcast. My name is Dr. James Johnson, and today we have a very special roundtable on race and the church. Joining me for this discussion is Reverend Dr. Jeremy Battle, Senior Pastor of Western Avenue Baptist Church in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Reverend Dr. Taft Quincy Heatley, Senior Pastor of Shiloh Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia, and Reverend Dr. Austin Carty, Senior Pastor at Boulevard Baptist Church in Anderson, South Carolina. The four of us met at Emory University in the same doctoral program, where we developed a friendship And that friendship has continued on into our lives of ministry. I invited them to come and sit down with me to have a conversation about race in the church, especially given our current context and situation. We spoke for almost two hours, and so I've divided that conversation into two parts. This is the second part. One of the things I want to ask in follow-up to this, guys, is, uh, you know, famously, Dr. King said that the most segregated hour in America is 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. And I have been, uh, up to this point in my life, I have been, I've been okay with that in a certain sense. And, I've, and the reason I've, I've, I've been okay with that is, is uh, there's just different styles of worship that, you know, I, it, we, we, we have uh, different songs we sing, different uh, lengths of sermons, for sure, I'm sure I bet. Uh, all kinds of all kinds of things that are different about the style of worship, and I and I've, that's the excuse I've used to be like that, that's okay. I'm I'm fine with the us, you know, the white church doing their thing over here, and the black church doing their thing over here. Um, I wonder, and and I've always been I've always been against the idea of of forcing diversity onto a church, right? Diversity for diversity's own sake. I, 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 that something about that makes me feel uncomfortable or has made me feel uncomfortable. Although now I'm starting to question myself as to whether or not um, whether or not th- th- there's, there's, we need to push forward in that direction. I guess the question that I have for you guys and follow up to what we just talked about is, um, and this may seem like an incredibly naive and stupid question, but I want to, I want to fill out, uh, what you guys think. Do, do, do we think that it is necessary to have a white church and a black church? Is it, is it necessary to have these two different traditions? Is, are, is there a benefit or a, um, is there, is there something that comes away from, uh, that, you know, that the black community needs to have their own church and the white community needs to have their own church? Yeah. Is this something I that think, is necessary? Yeah, I think to answer that question succinctly, I think black people would say yes, because yeah. black, the black church has been the only place mm. from the beginning of time where black people, some of whom are not, to be honest with you, as religious as you may imagine, <laughs> uh, 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 you know, most of these politicians who show up to black churches do only show up, you know, during the election season, right? Um, not necessarily practitioners of the faith, but they come to the black church for the black vote, for the black vote, right? Because they realize that no one place where there is sanctuary, where there and watch this sanctuary from the world, right? Uh, is in the African-American church where they can say whatever they want to say. They can be black and proud and not get, you know, shot down in the street. They can say whatever, they, they can be authentically, authentically 
themselves. And uh, I do believe we have moved in society and, and, and also in culture where, where black culture has become popular culture, right? And where you got white preachers actually sounding like black preachers and wear the same clothes, swag, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and I think there has been this sort of transmutation, right? Uh, even in televangelism and and you know folks on on, on conservative sides, liberal sides, where you have seen there being a more open sense of welcome and and an open mm -hmm. sense of sanctuary and home yeah. in interracial churches. Let's just be very clear about that because again, you know, people are all right saying, you know, I'm a crazy looking white dude and I don't know how to dance, right? And so we we see we see this this up uh, this this uptick right in comfort right in our skin as we have become more dialogic uh as disciples in jesus name right and so i do believe right that we do have this 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 kind of dialectic if you will that mm -hmm. has allowed us culturally and this is even in rap music i mean you think about this kanye west being in a large white evangelical church 50 years ago probably not wasn't gonna happen mm -hmm. right uh, and, uh, but that's not, that's also not an accident, right? In my view, right? Because here it is, the only person who was, uh, put a MAGA hat on, who was black, right? Was invited to the White House, is also invited, coincidentally, to Lakewood Church. You might have to black this one out, I don't know. You know, I, I'm just being real with you, okay? And so there, there, there's an appeal directly, right? To, to, to folks who actually, are less political and who at least seem to be right on the side of the conservative side of the spectrum. And so I think this is where the difficulty is going to lie, even among millennials and other people who have in black communities, as black people have progressed and have become more middle upper class. And they, they're living in neighborhoods, right? With white counterparts. They're working with white counterparts to where they don't see, you know, like the majority of people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, who look like themselves, you know? Uh, uh, that's the case for me and my family, you know what I mean? Like we, you know, we, we, you know, and so, and so because they have also now moved up on the spectrum and they're working around white colleagues, I mean, you know, this goes back to, to early sociological theory, right? That people tend to worship with, hang out with live in the same community, right, with, and work around the same people. And so I do think we've seen significantly, right, in the last 20 to 30 years, black flight from the black church as people have progressed. And so we also have a significant problem, which I preached about Sunday, with black middle, upper class people who are remaining silent, right? And who want to be pulled away from this because just like their white counterparts, they're in a gated neighborhood now. They're not getting pulled over by the police, right? You know, yeah. and so, and so, yes, it, to, to answer that question directly, but also right in these like nice, right, uh, um, sort of, uh, uh, in this nice sort of circumlocution, if you will, allow me to use that word, circum, circumlocution. It, there's this way of pulling all these pieces together that have happened culturally, right, in, in suburbanism, right, that's happened around the, the, the country that I do think allows uh, interracial and even white, uh, maybe majority white churches to be more comfortable for African Americans. But I will say, most of the the, the poor working class uh, uh, black folk in America, just like they are living in different neighborhoods, the majority of our black churches, the majority of black churches are in poor working class neighborhoods. Um, and, and you know, and that's the same thing even in Cambridge. You know, uh, uh, even as we've seen gentrification over the years. We saw uh, uh, flight because, you know, 
state of Massachusetts in the uh, mid nineties released rent control. And so that pushed African-Americans all out to the suburbs. So my church, which is right here in Cambridge, uh, uh, it used to be, you know, a hotbed for affordable housing for African-Americans. And my entire neighborhood, the whole neighborhood in our church was African-American. But when rent, when rent control was released, that pushed all black folks out to Brockton, to, to Avon, to, to, mm -hmm. to uh, as, as we would say, kind of like sort of the South, toward, toward the shore, so in Dorchester. And so this is what you found. Although we had the Bryants who were here and really one of the first mega churches in Cambridge at, at the St. Paul AME Church here in Cambridge, big, you know, big, big uh, uh, crowds. And Union Baptist Church, while those churches used to be packed full, you couldn't get in, that ended up shifting to Morning Star and other places where it was more affordable for black people to live. And so in some ways, right, what you see with quote unquote interracial churches is really primarily an upper class, middle class black population that can actually afford to live and drive to that church. Otherwise they may be watching them, but they can't even get to them because the, the, again, segregation. I mean, they're just residentially segregated. Yeah. And so, I mean, so it sounds good in theory, but it just doesn't match match sociology, ethnography, and demography, if y'all will allow me to use those words. Yeah, so along with the bibliography, we'll add a glossary as well to this podcast. <laughs> but uh, Q, let me hear let me hear your thoughts on, on, on this question, if, if you have any. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I, I'll ask this question, and I'll look at it from a world point of view. Again, the essence of Christianity being one church has also always had a cultural distinction. Um, and, and that's historical. You know, um, you Japanese. Well, 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 let's again. Let's look at Pentecost. You know, every person heard. You know, their 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 own tongue as they were speaking. You had Africa, Asia, and Europe represented there, which means you had different kinds of people who had a cultural distinction, and they began to worship God within their, from, from their culture. So the continent of Africa worships different from the continent of Latin, from South America, which probably worships different from Europe. And even within Europe, you got Western Europe, even um, Eastern Europe, you got the Slavic nations, you have the Norse, you know, uh, the Nordic, um, you know, um, you got the Dutch, you got the French, you got the Spanish, you, you have all these mixtures of different approaches to Christ. And that's also true, my brother and uh, uh, brother Tab. Just to add to your point, with Jewish, mm -hmm. Greek, Orthodox, yes. uh, you know what I'm saying, Ethiopian, and so let's just be very clear that there is an ethnic tie to most religious right. beliefs, like period, right? Yeah, in, in and so and so, and so that so that brings my so so because that is a really an outlay of the world. Um, when when you look at America, America itself. You know, the only indigenous people are the Native Americans. So outside of that, you have all these cultures that are coming to this one place um, that are now coexisting together. I don't, I don't think the question is, should there not be, or do we need to have, you know, one church and a white church and a black church? I don't think that was ever the issue. Maybe when we first, first came here and, and, and Af enslaved Africans were not allowed to worship. I think that the question and the issue that brings us to this point is this. Do white Americans see their black brothers and sisters as equal to them and equally as members of the body of Christ? Because if you, if you view us and perceive us as equally members of the body of Christ, 
that doesn't mean we worship with you to conform in the way in which you worship. Right. What that means is you accept our expression of Christ as different, but not deficient to use words of Jeremiah Wright. Mm -hmm. um, it's not deficient then from what you have. And even if this is your narrative with God and with Christ, your narrative does not supersede or trump our narrative with Christ. Because of our social location, we may express Christ differently because of ethnic heritage. But think about this. If, if I, if I have, have been enslaved and been subjugating and oppressed, then I'm going to see God differently. There is going to be an essence of a pulling and yielding for divine help because my life is hell. If I'm from a place of privilege, well, I may not need God like that. So I'm going to say thank you for my privileged position and say that I am blessed as opposed different to recognizing- Different life reality, yeah, different yeah, yeah. life reality. And, th and that's your point, Jay, about your project saying that, you know, no, you, you have been privileged as a part of a system, but God is not blessing you because you're any better than any other, um, you know, person that may not have your wealth, class, and station. So, uh, so I, again, so you can have different localities and locations and even um, expressions of Christ and different communities of worshiping together because we even see that, even though it may be along doctrinal lines within predominantly white, you know, denominations that we have, you know, and with the, and I think the difference that is with the, the black denominations is that there is still some shared experience where that shared experience is a social reality mm -hmm. that has, that, that was constructed because of the invisible institution that we know, because of slavery, not invisible institution, but because of slavery as we know it. And that's just the outgrowth of America. You always gonna have this pocket. I mean, just look at, you know, Ellis Island when the, um, the, um, the immigrants were coming to the nation. You go to New York, you got Chinatown. You know, you got um, where the Hasidic Jews are in Williamsburg and Brooklyn. You have all these spots where different cultures of people have set up their own their places that coexist amongst one another. I think the question becomes is how do you perceive uh, do you perceive this person equally? We are your brother and sister in Christ. You are not better than us. The same blood that was shed to forgive your sins forgives my sins from an individualistic standpoint, but from our communal perspective and our ethnicity and how we see God being together, we're still all part of the body. It is the cultural expressions of Christ that give uh, language to even really how we view God. And that, that's really what shapes the differences. I, I, I would even go along doctrinal lines when you think about it. I don't necessarily know if this is straight doctrine that different differs. I think the doctrines are shaped by cultural and ethnic expressions of how people see God. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that, one of the things that, uh, one of the things that came, one of the things that I learned as I was doing my project on white privilege was, was exactly this point with uh, equality that looking at, at, different expressions of Christianity as being equal to uh, white church Christianity and all of its diversity is uh, diverse doctrinal diversity. Um, and by the way, my brother, that's also true for a lot of televangelism uh, in, in black churches as well, mm -hmm. who equate mm -hmm. their success and their privilege, right, right as their white privilege yeah. friends and, you know, and neighbors, as the, the will of God. And that means I'm blessed exactly. and I've got favor mm -hmm. as well. So let's be, let's be very mm -hmm. clear, my brother, that, that we share those kind of theological discrepancies with oh, respect sure. to wealth and privilege. Yeah. Can, can, can I say one thing about problem, that? Right? And, 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 and I'll, I'll say that, Jeremy, just, just really quick, Jay, that but that is an outgrowth of a sort of white patriarchal construct, though, in how they view God. And here's why I say that. I completely I think about, agree. Yeah, yeah, about Bishop Eddie Long coming out of, you know, Harvester um, Chapel with, under um, with Bishop Earl Pope. 
that that theology that came from him that now shifted and had an expression in the black church as well you know and and, that, and, 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 and and let me also say just so that it's very clear that i believe that that comes from a sociological perspective from black people in the yeah. sense that their desire for uplift right yes. it's not quote unquote prosperity gospel as, mm -hmm. as it's right. coined right. and, 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 and antagonized and sort of made a pejorative epithet right in theological circles it, it, it instead is just a desire for equality to, to right. just be able to 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 actually you know have essential resources like their white counterparts and they believe because their white counterparts are saying that it's god right well, to Hugh's point that shoot man will shoot where's god for us and so and so when people experience right those exceptional cases right of, of mm -hmm. privilege and and getting a job right and, and, and having financial success again the 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 culture of christianity in white america and across the globe right uh has been to equate right social standing with our theological presuppositions and so what's, you're there i mean I, we completely agree i mean what, what do you think uh, Austin? you know I, i'm curious about what you're what you're hearing you know from from our thoughts if you don't mind my brother i mean we with three baptist preachers on here talking i just, real, I just realized that we got three baptist preachers here uh <laughs> you know uh, uh two black preachers and a white baptist so let's, let's talk like what, what's going on what, what, what do you think about what we're saying are we just throwing around words bro or you know or do you or do you share tell, tell us where you may have uh you know uh some some dissonance and you know and maybe some nuance that that might offer a different perspective from what you think what you're hearing with us because i mean that would be helpful yeah absolutely so so you know if 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 jay's original question was about is it necessary to have a black church and a, a white church i i think there are two ways to 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 come at that question and the the first way that i that i hasten to come at it is from a fundamentally theological faith-based perspective come the day of the lord if this story that we've all staked our lives on is true uh, in the kingdom of God, then there's not going to be a black church and a white church and that every tribe and every tongue and every nation are going to be together saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And uh, I believe that's a real thing. You know, uh, it's, it's one of the reasons that uh, I get on my soapbox a lot about what I'd said earlier about the, the, the partnering of individual and systemic sin. I believe in the reality of these things and also the reality of the bodily resurrection of Christ and the reality of a coming kingdom of God. These are not metaphors for me. You know, I, I believe I've staked my life on this. So uh, in terms of what we're supposed to be trying to, to model here on earth in as imperfect a fashion as we can as broken, sinful human beings, I think that the goal is to work toward that which we claim is coming. Um, now that having been said, it would be very convenient to think that we can just run roughshod over the kind of history that y'all are talking about and just suddenly arrive at that point and not acknowledge all the reasons why there is such division in the church, uh, sociologically, specifically, like you were talking about, where folks are located physically, where people are living and why folks are living there. Uh, which has absolutely economic uh, history to it. Uh, one of the one of the things that should be so eye-opening for anybody that grows up uh, the 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 way that I did is I was 32 years old when I first heard the term redlining. You know, I, 
how do you get to live to be 32 and not know that this is a thing that has continual collateral effects to this very moment? Well, to, to not recognize the way that, that systems like that have led to the way that we are in cities just by the very nature of the way the city is laid out and the very ways that people uh, have economic capital or do not, uh, that there are historical factors that play into that is to be oblivious and ignorant to uh, all that has preceded us to this moment. So there's no way that we can run roughshod over what has come before to just say, okay, well, so since we know that we should be able to have this completely diverse congregation, let's go ahead and make it happen. Because there's a lot of uh, recognition that we have to have about why it hadn't happened yet. And also about why there are these necessary spaces uh, that y'all are talking about and, and why that is such a safe harbor and an important sanctuary to be able to have as the black church. Um, so, uh, so like I said, I think there's two ways of, of looking at that. Sure. that. Yes, I think that absolutely has to be the goal we're working toward. But then we can't just think we can wave a magic wand by saying we're in a post-racial world, like you were talking about earlier, yeah. Jeremy, when we know that's not the fact. We have to do the work of how do we get there? And, and how do we get there in a way that's not a superficial, let's just come together under one roof. But let's have legitimate relationships where we have all come together because we do acknowledge, as Q's saying, that we have all been baptized into the same body of Christ and that we're all going to the same kingdom of God. One of the motivations I, I, I'm with you. One of the motivations I had for asking this question comes actually from this uh, this Mitchell book that I've been absorbing. Um, and at the very beginning, he he's talking about a situation in where he was teaching uh, uh, black church history, and uh, one of the people in the class accused him of of talking about this history as though it was the history of his own family, like he was going through a photo album of his family. And he said, of course, that, and, then, and we have to start thinking like that. We have to start thinking like this is our family history if we're going to truly uh, live into this, uh, the, the, pro the production of it. Uh, and, he, and then he said, and I guarantee you that white Christians look at their history as a family history. Like that, that's one of, the, you know, one of the things that they do. And I guess when I, when I heard him say that, I, it, it made sense to me. But I also was wondering in the back of my head, can we get to a point where I – you know, white American, uh, Christian, James Johnson, like, is there a place where I can think of black church history as part of my family? Can I, can I talk about your history as being part of not just church history, but a part of my history uh, and, and, and where I'm coming from? And that has to do with the, why I asked that question the way I did, but also trying to get to that place where we do recognize that we are one church and that we're part of one body of Christ. Um, and I think... Uh, I think there's a, a lot of different ways to think about that. And you guys, have, you guys have laid out some great uh, sociological and, and, and uh, ecclesial kinds of understandings of that. I, I, uh, I just wonder, can we, can we be one family? Can we really think about, uh, I, I like that idea. And I don't, I know that we do not live and we do not live in a post-racial world. Uh, and I don't even know that that should be a goal necessarily in the way that a lot of people think about that, like as, a, as kind of being whitewashed, you know, um, see, see, Jay, for, 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 for my perspective, I, 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 I just wonder if racism is that big, it, it, it's too big for, for that to occur. Yeah. So because it would require white America to unseat itself from the position of authority. 
That's right. Even with respect to what is right, you know, because really what it equates to to Black America is white is right. You know, yeah. I mean, I grew up in, a, in the post-civil rights Birmingham where you would hear people saying constantly, oh, well, that's where the white folks live. And oh, oh, they act like white folks. So in other words, to do well and to have a stable income and to be able to live in the suburbs meant, meant to be white. And the reality is that's the case in America. Sure. But, you know, even when you look across churches, like, you know, even in quote unquote diverse and interracial churches, which is what Corey Edwards work on the elusive dream is so powerfully, uh, why it's so powerfully important. Most times you don't see a concession of white power and authority. You know, right. you may see a lot of black bodies and a lot of black folks and enter you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you, you may see a lot of races there, but you don't see that in the senior pastor position. You don't see that behind the, the, the scenes, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and so part of what, what I worry about, which is what we, we've been saying as a church as sort of a model, model is one of our four points, right? Peaceful protest, right? Nonviolent and, and peaceful protest. We're also saying um, you know, that we need to look for alliances and partnership, right? Because all this work is going to require, just like we're doing, partnership. But we're also saying that we have to all, right, seed and release privilege, right? In order to, 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 to really have, as we would say, real talk and real conversation across the board. And so I think I can almost push that question back to you. Do you believe Honestly, and you know, and I mean, even with my with my peers, like, do you believe that? And I mean, for 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 all people across the country, do you think that we're in a position to really seed right right our privilege? Because I think that's the scariest thing for most people. I Absolutely. think I think they they are you know they are scared as they can be that that they won't be you know in a better position, which we all know, you know, wealth right it is really a position of authority and so right. will people be willing right to well, yield right and to release yeah. well authority. I, I think that speaks to um i think it speaks to a deeper issue that even deep a, a deeper issue in christianity and in the church that's even deeper than race which is the issue of power and authority in general i think i think you know ever since you know and there, there's the narrative on this is well written all over the place but you know since the time of constantine when the church took, you know, instead of being oppressed, everyone in the church being oppressed, to the church being in power, there was a corruption that happened there. There's a corruption in our message and in our God and the way that we treat the gospel and the way that we see ourselves and our relationship to God and to each other. And as soon as we bought into that power and privilege uh, and, and authority narrative of, of, of the gospel, to a certain extent, we, we, were, we were always going to bound, we were bound to end up right where we, right where we are, right? We were going to end up here. Frodo, Frodo got the ring. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, so um, I, that and issue so, of power and privilege is is something that needs to be addressed as well. And, and, I, and I, I've I've spoken on that other places, but um, part of what's happening here is, is you see the white privilege, you see the the these white people and and, and white community, white churches, people uh, in authority and a power that are afraid to lose that because what it means ultimately for them is security. It means being self reliant. It means being independent. And to give that stuff up would be to rely on their neighbor, right? To, they would actually have to trust their neighbor to love them. Uh, and it means relying on God. And By that's the something way, that which we also do. Explains, which also explains policing and redlining. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I want to be protected, right? Exactly. And please don't let them black folks over here, like let them do all that over there in the hood. 
right and I think that, I think not enough has been said about this and um, this idea that one of the motivations behind this is a this is a huge generalization and it's not always true but one of the big I think underlying motivations of where police brutality comes from and and just just over policing in general uh, is that they they have been given power uh, and they have been given motivation by the white community around them to do exactly that. Take the every means necessary to make sure that I am not hurt, right? To make sure that I am secure. Uh, yes, and there, there, is a, there is a culpability in the white community uh, for police brutality in general, or, or just over-policing in general. I don't mean just to speak about uh, moments of violence, but that's something that needs to be spoken about um, a little bit more. Uh, as we as we kind of move from this, I guys we we are we are we have having a great conversation here. We're uh, running all kinds of time over today. I don't know how much time you guys have to be here. I, I do want to address this last question um, today and and get you guys' feel on where do we go from here? What happens now? What's the next chapter in this uh, story that we're writing together? Um, and I, what I mean by that now, what I mean by that is. Um, you know, what, what do you guys see as a faithful response of the white church to, to incidences like uh, George Floyd uh, and, and uh, just in general racial unrest or racial violence? Um, what, what is it that we can do to be faithful to the kingdom uh, that, that isn't about saving faith or pandering? Because that's, right. I think, where a lot of us want to go or are just tempted to go to easy for that way. Um, and, and, and I also want to ask the question, and, and this is all wrapped up in the same question, but uh, what role does the black church play in, in, in educating us and, and bridging the gap between us? You know, you know what I, I would say to that, Jay? I think, I think it's, it's two things. Um, the, the main objective, I would say, is probably humility. And when I say that from the white church, I would say intellectual humility and cultural humility. The intellectual humility to understand that that your approach to Christianity is not necessarily the best or the only approach. That's where the intellectual humility comes in. The cultural humility comes in is in accepting that your approach really is a cultural one and not necessarily, it's, it's culture, it's theology that's shaped by culture as opposed to um, theology that that shaped by a mandate that this is the standard, um, and so if that if that consciousness can 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 come into play, then I think that there's a learning that needs to happen where you just sit with someone different from you and hear how it is they come to the place to see God, to express themselves. Um, in Christianity, how they understand and the need that they have to call on God in a different way because of uh, the, the historical social location. Um, I also believe that there just has to be a real heart change that just says, you know what? I love you because you're my neighbor. And in loving you because you're my neighbor, I understand that as I seek to love you, I cannot control the narrative on how I need to love you. I think that's the listening piece that must come in and says, okay, just like we have in any relationship, you know, all of us are married. Um, 
we all have a love language. Our wives have a love language. We can't love them the way we think they need to be loved. We have to listen to them to tell us how they desire to receive love. And I, <laughs> amen to that. And I really think that connection has to happen with white congregants um, as they have to listen to, you know, the black church to understand how do I receive you as my brother and sister? Because what I'm saying is how, how do I love you? And let us tell you how to do that. In order for that to happen, there needs to be a deep dive in American history and seeing African-American history as a part of American history. So, so tell me, Q, let me ask that question then. Yeah. How, uh, how can we love you? How can we be in relationship with you? I think, I think one of the things that what you're doing right now, when we had our conversation, you, you listen to maybe some perspectives that you may have not considered before because you never had to consider them. It's yeah. one of the reasons why you're reading Black Church Beginnings. It's one of the reasons why you're reading how Africa shaped the Western mind. Um, and so you're doing the work, you know, of course, theologically and scholarly to see, okay, what, what sort of, you know, cognitive constructs have been created and how do people get here? But I, I think more importantly, I think that the sociological, that there's a sociological piece of this to understand what really happened in America and what is the story of America not told from the white perspective? What is the story of America told from those that have been on the underside? And not to see that as an addendum to the American narrative, but to see that as a part of the American narrative. And, yeah. and, and, re and really look at that, not just from the African-American standpoint, but also from the Native American standpoint. Let, let's look at what really happened that brought America to its prominence and see the role of white America in that, not speaking from a place of glory or dominance, but looking at it a place from oppression, abuse, and, 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 and I would even dare some say evil. Or, or just look at it from a New Testament perspective, right? Because that's right. The, the New Testament story is the story told from underneath, right? It's the story right. told from below. Right. Uh, and, and I confessed to you yesterday, and I, this is an embarrassing confession, but uh, I guess I, I had not done this consciously, but I, I've always thought of church history, I guess, as the, the history of the white church. Uh, you know, going all the way back, going all the way back to the New Testament. Uh, you know, I, I, it's it's something that I've not done consciously, but it, as 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 I've begun to to read some stuff and, and get new perspective, it's it's changed the way that I think. I, like, like I said, I've always thought of myself as being a friend and ally and neighbor to the uh, African American Church. But if I'm not if I'm not willing to learn the history and learn it not as an addendum, like you said, learn it as part of my history as American history as world history. Uh, then I have, I'm clearly not, I'm clearly not living what I'm saying, uh, and, and treating and seeing and, and, and hearing what I need to hear. Um, let me, uh, let me ask you, uh, Jeremy, as we, as we kind of talk about this, um, the same question to you, like, where do we go from now? What can we do? How do we bridge this gap? What, what's your role? What's our role? What can we do? Sacrificing personal and institutional privilege, period. And how do we do that? Well, it's the same way we did with women and wage gaps in the, in the country. We stopped letting white men lead the, the discussion about how women were treated. We allowed them to speak for themselves so that they could be in the position of authority to tell how they felt. That's what, this is what Q was saying. And I think the same thing is also true even in the white church that needs to be modeled. I invite your black local pastor to come in and to talk and to have a forum to do that. 
right? Invite them to come and share. Like, we don't need a white man to tell us how uh, to, 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 to African-American church history. I'm sorry. We don't need that. We don't, you know what I'm saying? What that is is just actually, that, that, that is continuing the trend, right, of, a, of, 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 of authority, right, and wielding your, you know what I'm saying, that you, you know what I'm saying, that the white man has the right answer, that, you know what I'm saying, that you understand our issue more than we understand it. Right, right. Like racism is not our invention, <laughs> right? And so we don't need y'all to school us about what we feel and what we're experiencing. We we need you all to do like we're doing. And again, I know that might sound Black Pantherish, you know what I'm saying? That might sound like up in the whole deal, but but it's the same way we've done with with LGBTQ issues. It's the way, same way we've done it with every ism in the world. We have to stop allowing. I mean, that's what we're seeing with women in our country as we've given them voice, even in clergy, in the same so, thing across the board. Like, we have to allow them to be in places of authority so that they can influence and lead the discussion, right? Not from a place, right, of disparity and not from a place, right, of the underclass that we just kind of add on, right, as a social attache so it can look nice and sexy and public, you know what I'm saying, and politically right, yeah. correct, but as a sincere, right, leader who has authority to speak to this issue in a powerful way. So let me let me follow up with that just for a second and ask this question and maybe we don't have time maybe to get into the depths of this one but um I think you're right that when 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 authority is given we're more likely to listen right so one of the things with uh, even like Dr. King one of the reasons why Dr. King is is so popular even amongst the white church is because he had a certain level of authority uh and and power to speak right uh and and, and it, I wonder if there's not something problematic about that, just in general. Again, we were talking about power and authority before. Why do we have to have authority and power? Why, why give authority and power uh, if, if we know that it, it has a corrupting influence or, or that it's just not, it's not, I don't, I, I, like I said, we don't have time to get into all of that. And, but, it, and, but it's okay, it's okay. I mean, because I, I like Jesus what you're had power and authority. Look how he acted. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I mean, sure. I, I like what you're saying, but I, I, I think about my wife. I think the way we even think about marriages today and raising families, uh, uh, as women have been able to give boys and men have allowed women to be leaders of corporations of churches and so on and so forth, it has shaped America. It has softened. It has is, it is brought, right, such a, a, a valuable perspective, right, that, that is not, you know, based off of uh, 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 patriarchy. And so my thing is like, you know, you know, you know, just ask the woman as theologians, right? That yeah. that even yeah. when white women speak, they're speaking from the perspective of white men, right? Yeah. You know, and, and, and you know, and so that's why you got the AMEs, and that's why you got, you know. So, so in other words, I think that once a, you know, in, in, in other words, I, and I, you know, because I, I like what you're saying around authority, right? And 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 being careful not to retool the same right violent you know tool right yeah. uh, 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 of oppression right but i think i think you know what is it derrida who talks about messianic waiting that 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 none of this stuff that we do is going to be perfect my brother i i i, I understand that i understand that i'm not a perfect preacher i'm not the best spoken preacher that that, that there's going to be you know a preacher in an unnamed storefront church right around the corner from y'all who's facing closure right who might not be able to be as articulate as I am, or Dr. King, by the way, who was the educated black elite of America. He wasn't no poor preacher from a poor background, right? He wasn't the majority of America. Most of the American churches, 85 to 95% of them, as y'all know in my thesis, are small 
poor, broke, rural, white and black, right, across the board. And so, you know, I think that just allowing different voices to, 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 to have authority is a part of facilitating real inclusion in the world, right? And that's inclusion of all types, forms and shapes, genders, racial identities and perspectives even you know what i mean and gender i do i do and, and so, I, I, I do i think that's right i i don't know i bring this up because um when i when i read the new testament from my perspective um i see that the it's it's the people who don't have authority and power who follow jesus right it's the women it's the sick it's the people they can hear jesus and they follow jesus it's the people who have power and authority that can't hear him and uh, even his own disciples to some degree because of their position in, in that society had some trouble uh, understanding Christ. But it just seems like every woman that Jesus talks to instantly gets it, right? And is, is there and is faithful and is, is on board all in. And I, I, I've, I've struggled with, um, I've had so many uh, arguments and, and discussions with uh, feminists and, and other people uh, with those kinds of perspectives or advocacy uh, theologies that um, they, they all want they all want what they perceive that white men have, this kind of authority and power that we're talking about. But it's exactly that authority and power that blinded the people to the word of Christ. So why would you want the thing that actually blocks us from like true relationship, deep relationship? Because whatever you want to say, it's, it's the authority, it's the power that, that blinds us, that deafens us, that, that makes us not able to hear you, not, makes us not be able to hear God, and really leaves us out in, in an isolation, no matter how much power and authority it looks like we have on, on, you know, in, in, in the world. That, that's kind of a, that's a very uh, vaporous kind of... If you don't mind, you know, and I'll be quick this time, but the first time ever in my life, right? Like, let, but let me be very clear. When I'm saying sacrifice privilege, I'm, I'm not just talking about the church on I'm not like I am talking about in education. Well, how about this? Instead of having a bunch of policing, why don't we exchange that for education for you, right? Yeah. And children, so that they have. Why don't we extend that to to the disparate realities that we have in college admissions? Thank God for University of California for taking the lead. But remember, they took the lead in the opposite direction several years ago around affirmative action, right? Sure. And so, in terms of standardized testing. In terms of housing, in terms of right, you know, uh, in terms of access to to jobs and careers, most African American folks, folks in this country, they only they still box tended. But the only thing that they can do is is, is play sports or do entertainment because and even the same thing is also true in the churches where 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 gospel artists and all we we just get brought in to be a sexy attaché culture. Right. And so I think part of what I'm saying is I'm talking about access, right? right. Sacrificing yeah. and allowing people of color and especially black people in America to have access. Access to education, yeah. access to health care, access to the American dream, just like everybody else. And so, so that's what I mean. I don't, I don't mean to leverage the, the, the iron fist of authority might makes right. Right. I, I don't yeah. mean that. Yeah. I, I mean access. Uh, Q, you were, were going to say something too. I wanna... Yeah, I, I, I was just trying to sum that in, in regards to the access and, and, and being heard. You know, that's kind of what I hear from, and I'm glad that Jeremy mentioned the, the issue of the feminist and the womanist movement, you know, mm -hmm. that the womanist movement grew out of the, the feminist movement where and the feminist movement was, was more seen that um, this, the still preservation of whiteness because the, the preservation of the whiteness could not see the value of someone that looked different from them, 
Um, and it is not suggesting that I switch places with you or I, or even that I'm trying to overthrow where you are. That's not it. It's still coming from a place of love that says, hey, I'm with you. So let me be at the table with you so that we can all progress together. Because the progression of us together um, is not the preservation of an ideal. That's actually the strengthening of a nation. Yeah. But you have to see me as your equal. But until you can see me as that, then you're not going to give me access to that. I like the metaphor of a coming to the table, not just because of dialogue, but also because that's Eucharist, right? That's communion. Uh, Austin, I want to, you want to jump in here and, and share your thoughts? Yeah. So yeah, I agree with kind of where they've both come back with the response on the authority and the power question. I, I think whether we even wanted to say that we were going to be gone with authority and power, we can't. That It's, it's a reality in the world. And that's moreover, right. Uh, I think that when wielded properly, it's 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 a it's a gift. That I think that Hugh's first word about humility is where we have to ground all of that. The reason that all those folks that uh, had no power and authority uh, were so quick to cotton to to Jesus was the way that he wielded his power and his authority. That's exactly and right. And so it it and that issues out of the character of the person. Uh, with power and authority. And so I, I agree with the impulse uh, or the, the, um, the, the, the answer of the, the importance of the humility and being willing to share access to that level of authority and, and power. And, you know, when, when we talk about where are we now and where, where, where do we see going in, in the future, I think one of the really important things is doing, first of all, what, what, we're doing right here where, where Jay, you set this opportunity for us as, as white pastors who historically have had more just default power and authority mm -hmm. uh, to, to be able to listen. And, and meanwhile, I think that we have to then do that sincerely and humbly. You know, that's been a, a nice buzzword that, 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 uh, that, that at least in white clergy circles, but I think in white culture in general to, to talk about the importance of listening, but we need to really listen, you know, yeah. and not just, pat ourselves on the back for saying we're willing to listen. There's a big difference between those things. Um, and then I think too, for whatever it is that we do right now in this moment, um, uh, and, and right now I'm, I just came to this podcast from a, a, a conversation with uh, a, a local colleague that I met right when I got here uh, a year ago. Uh, we're putting together a community event uh, that's going to be hopefully a, a, a a time for uh, the white church and the black church to get together uh, at our local civic center. And, and I hope have a moment where we're able to have a time of confession um, and, and then also have an opportunity to talk about some healing and hope so that we acknowledge the reality of what's going on. We don't sidestep it. Uh, and then we also try to unify our community and think about how we move forward. But I mention it so as to say, I think there are a lot of, there are, there are a lot of folks that are willing to, to do that right now. This is, this is a very unique moment. I think that there's really something happening right now. But I think one of the keys is going to be, historically, we've been really good at having events, you know, symbolic events. And those are important. You've got to have symbolism. There's, there's so much value in symbolism. But that's got to then be consistent and be continued on beyond the event. You know, I think that those relationships have to be cultivated 
and they have to be cultivated in lots of ways that aren't just photo ops or big staged events. And, um, and then I think that in kind of the humility of that consistent relationship, the willingness to listen to one another and significantly the white pastors to, to not come in and unintentionally say, oh, well, we've got all the ideas. Instead, to, as, as Q and Jeremy are saying, say, what can we learn together and what can we learn from you? And then creatively think of what are these new possibilities for um, healing and partnership as we go forward? Not letting it just be a moment where we, we do the right symbolic work and then pat ourselves on the back and, and then uh, wait until another uh, societal blow up. So Q, Q and I were talking yesterday, and uh, Q, I want, I want you to chime in on this, but the, the idea that um, what, what even makes this conversation right here possible is that we have a relationship with each other. There's, there's already a relationship, so we can have the conversation. Try to have this conversation with people who don't have any relationship at all is, is difficult, if not impossible. And, and we hear each other, I think, and we listen to each other, we hear each other because we know each other, we trust each other, we love each other. Um, Q, I, I want you to, you were talking about this yesterday, and I, I kind of, if you have more thoughts on that, I'd love for you to chime in here and just talk about the importance of relationship in, in, in moving forward. What, what, what happens next? Yeah, I mean, just to look at it from, I, I will say, a prophetic standpoint of how our paths, in a, you know, cross being a part of this Deviant cohort. Of course, we were there with the goal to graduate to, to get a doctorate of ministry from the Canada School of Theology. But within our cohort being small and somewhat more intimate, we really had to grapple with um, issues and just with really different ideologies and different approaches to what we consider to be theology, to even how we worship, um, and just even the, the sense of our projects. One of the things that I, that I think that, it, that is indicative of good relationships, even if it's a challenging relationship, is when Dr. Lori Walkie presented her um, project, she said something at the end that I made a connection to a question that I first raised when she was looking at her project. I don't know if you recall when she was uh, trying to come up with a progressive theology and she gave these two pictures. I think one was either of Billy Graham or of Criswell and the other was of Dr. King. And that was in a presentation. And so she, we took questions in one of the colloquies and I asked her how she was going to do with race. And at that time she said she wasn't. And what I said was, okay, now that you clarify what you're trying to do, um, I understand that. But what I can't, I brought, I raised that issue because I saw an image of an all white audience, you know, being addressed by a white man and a predominantly black audience with, with others in there addressed from a black man. And she was talking, and that was her, her image of, you know, I guess, progressive theology. And what she was saying, unbeknownst to her, when she thought about progressive theology, she made the assumption that progressive and conservative were the two spectrums that everybody either existed in. Until she did some research and read that African-Americans did not fit neatly in either one of those categories. Mm -hmm. There were some ideals for which they sided with more so with the conservative theology but they also have a social, socially, they had a more progressive agenda. That was because of social location. And I know it wasn't a fault to her own, but it goes to what you may mention too, that you said that you were allied with the black church, but when you thought about uh, Christian history, you thought about that from a white normative perspective. Yeah. And so she's living from her, what Cornel West calls the white normative gauge, and she's just operating. But what she said at the end was, is she said that 
there's a lot that I can learn and we can learn from the black church because the black church has done this work. What that says is there's a, there is a requisite humility that she came to to understand that there was a voice that was different from hers and her social context and constructs that will be helpful to get her to a goal. I think that's kind of what Austin is speaking about when we think about the kingdom of God and every nation, and every color, and every kindred and creed, you know, coming together. There are multiple voices that will be coming together at the same table, you know, to eat at the, the, the feast um, of the Lamb of God. And in order to be able to do that, we have to have relationship. Um, and, and I think that, um, you know, and, and I, would, I, would, I told my other white pastors this, my, my white pastor friends this, if there is a local African-American church in your community or close to you um, that you know with, call them up, say, let's have lunch, let's have breakfast. Let's establish some relationships because it's going to have to begin with us. We, I, we know we're going to get pushed back from our congregants. Yeah. You know, um, and, and one of the reasons why I'm raising this because as my congregation is in a gentrified area and there are more, remember my project was about a pastoral prophetic preaching because now I have white people that are coming to my congregation and I'm dealing with some heavy sociological ills that directly and adversely affect black men and black people. And I have them to understand that this is a Christian response and not a black response. And so I had to find a way to be able to do that. So my relationship with them is my pastoral relationship with them where I ended with genuine relationships helps dismantle the barriers that may be present that we bring with us so that now we can actually have some authentic conversation and develop true relationship. And if you don't mind me saying this one little last piece to add to, to, uh, to, to, to Q and also uh, to uh, Pastor Austin, Dr. Austin. <laughs> um, I, I want us also to be cautious in the white church. So, so, so let, me, let me be very clear to Austin's point and the T's point, right? To Pastor Taz, right? That white churches, white people and black folks are gonna have to also be very careful when we use terms like humility in terms of the approach to peaceful protest as well, because anger is okay. Jesus got angry. He yeah. wasn't just always, well, in fact, the reason he got crucified and put on the cross is because he went and tore up the temple right. and, 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 and decided that he was going to, you know, at least according to the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? right. That was his act of treason, right? He, he literally turned over the temple tables and, and he caused a, a, a riot. And, and riot is, 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 is necessary, right? And you got a lot of black people out here who are not going to be able to humbly and quietly and, and softly be able to give witness to what they're experiencing because they are upset. They are angry. I'm angry. I am upset. I mean, how am I going peacefully and cautiously? So I don't mean, when we say peaceful, right, I'm not suggesting that synonymous with peaceful means not angry. Because we see violent. in the prophetic tradition, even in the Hebrew scripture, that people are angry. But what we are saying is, don't let our anger be outweighed, right? Like, don't let our anger turn into violence. Because yeah. that, that's the first statement that we have in our church, Jay. The first yeah. thing that we're saying to all of our people is, we're angry, but we believe in nonviolent and peaceful protest. Mm -hmm. And so we're angry. We're angry. I'm upset. You know, I mean, as you know, uh, as you know, uh, it's a big uh, common thing in black culture, but I'm learning with my white friends up here in New England that they're just as loud as we are, man. You, I'm telling you, you would go to 
So if you came to my lunch, uh, to, to dinner at my folks' house in Brighton, Alabama, I stopped with Birmingham, Jefferson County, bro, you would think we were in there fighting. <laughs> I mean, how charismatic we be getting there, man. We be loud as all get out. You would think that somebody was about to fight. You would think that you need to call the police. But that doesn't mean that we don't love each other. Jeremy, I, I mean, we're just energetic. And we, you know what I'm saying? And, and, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I just kind of wanted to make sure. I didn't want to leave this conversation. That's a good, that's a good word. Without making sure that I said, because a lot of folks are doing that right now, and I'm not supporting the violence. I'm not supporting losing. I'm not, our church, we, we completely disagree with burning businesses down and so on mm -hmm. and so forth. We don't believe that is a constructive way to do this. We believe that the election, we believe local and national election, right, in terms of franchisement. We think activity and active partnership and engagement and colleagues and conversations like this in our personal lives and in our professional lives and our workplace. We believe those are the way forward. And guess what? We're not just tiptoeing our way in there. We're crying in these yeah. meetings. We're, yeah. we're, we're loud in these meetings. We're walking out of these meetings. Many of us are fatigued. You know, because it's just like we've been doing this thing over and over. And so there is no right way to do this. There is no right, but there is a wrong way. And the wrong way, from my perspective, the only wrong way is violence for violence. I just read somewhere, Jeremy, this, this uh, past week that they actually refused to invite the Bostonians to the uh, Constitutional Congress because of how rowdy and angry they were. Like they, they would cause fights and stuff. So I got yeah. entire place up there. Yeah. Um, guys, we're, we're out of time today. Uh, I want to, as a, as a kind of a closing uh, prayer uh, or benediction, I want to read a passage of scripture that I think speaks to what we've been talking about today and, and particularly uh, some of the things that uh, you guys have talked about in terms of the kingdom of God. Um, and this, is, this will be our closing prayer. And, and guys, I, I want to I thank you guys so much again for being here and giving us this time. Um, I hope that this is just the first of many conversations that we'll all have in our communities and with each other and, and, and across the world. Um, but this has been great. This has been fantastic. And uh, I, hope to, I hope to see you guys again soon. Uh, hear this word from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house will be the highest of the mountains. It will be lifted above the hills. Peoples, peoples, peoples will stream to it. Many nations will go and say, come, let us go to the Lord's mountain, to the house of Jacob's God, so that he may teach us his ways and we may walk in the paths of God. Instruction will come from Zion, and the Lord's word will come from Jerusalem. God will judge between the nations and settle disputes of mighty nations. Then, then they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, or let's say peoples will not take up their sword against peoples, and they will no longer learn how to make war. Come, house of Jacob, church of God, let us walk in the Lord's light. Amen. Guys, thank you so much.